0: Oh, stop a kayachad hermasya. Served hermasvarupine. Avatar a verishthaya. Ramakrishna Vasudeva sutam devam. Gangsa chanuramar denam. Devaki Paramanandam Krishnam Vande jagat gurum <clears throat> So in the last class we started with the introduction of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. And as we were indicating that Srimad Bhagavad Gita is a unique scripture because here we find that instead of adhering to a particular philosophy, it has in wonderful way synthesized all the prevailing philosophies of those times. We find that the Bhagavad Gita starts in the first six chapters With the idea of the Sankhya philosophy, the Purusha and the Prakriti. The Purusha is the conscious principle which comes in association with the Prakriti to unleaven this phenomenal existence. It comes into existence moment the Purusha comes in association with the Prakriti. The universe which we see is out there is actually projected out the moment the Purusha comes in association with the prakriti and the entire phenomenal existence has certifies is its being is certified by the individual the moment the purush comes in association with the prakriti but at the same time the purush the conscious principle gets as if deluded by the fact that it is the prakriti, it is the psychophysical existence. <clears throat> and this delusion, when it falls off, it again gets established in its pure conscious nature. And the first six chapters we find this idea prevails in Bhagavad Gita. And from that, we may misunderstand, not we may, we have, we did misunderstood our scripture, especially the Gita for millennium for thousands of years for hundreds of years which made the scripture which is originated from that indian background which made the indian nation almost hibernating because the only goal was to somehow realize your this potent spiritual nature be established in it the world has nothing to do with my existence it is lying there as mithya, illusion, it has to drop off. Whether it is bhakti vada or whether it is advaita vada, we find at last the same inactivity prevails. The bhakta doesn't want to get merged with the absolute, but it wants to be in eternal association with the divine through devotion. Only all those devotional practices, upasana, which has nothing to do with our abhyudaya, the social upliftment. And the advaitin, there also we find as the absolute reality in which he's merging is his goal. So he wants to merge in that and just reject the entire existence as mithya. If that were the goal of Bhagavad Gita, then as in the last class we were indicating, there was no question for Arjuna For Krishna to ask Arjuna to stand up and fight. If everything is Mithya, what's the use of dealing with something which has no essence at all as such? Simply retreat from it. Forget it. But there we find Bhagavan, the God himself is instructing Arjuna, admonishing him for his that cleavata, for inactivity and asking him to stand up and fight. So this idea cannot be the ultimate goal of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. That to get established in that we are Purusha nature and forget about the Abhjuda, the way the world is working as if I have no nothing in no way to deal with it. That will be a very wrong way to understand Gita. Then the question, as in the last class we also indicated, why that so much importance in the first chapter, first six chapters has been given to the Sankhya philosophy? It's only for purification. Even in the modern day, you will find, we find in the modern day, knowingly, unknowingly, the philosophy of the Bhagavad Gita is prevailing. Even in the so-called corporate culture, that not only work. It squeezes you. It totally drains you out. There should be some relaxation where you can contemplate, meditate. Even in the workforce, we find the meditation is entering. Almost the same idea we find in the Bhagavad Gita, but with a broader sense. That meditation, working without detachment, working with detachment, all these are meant for Chitta Shuddhi. All these are meant for removing the dross of your mind, getting rid of the selfishness, egoism, the more you get established in your conscious principle. And as a witness, you can look at what is going on. The more you develop detachment, the more your biases falls off, the more you can work with a proper understanding. And what's that understanding? That the entire Prakriti which we are seeing is not something separate from the conscious principle. It is a conscious principle which is appearing as the Prakriti. And when it appears as Prakriti, there is a rhythm. What is rhythm in our Vedic literature is dharma in Buddhist literature. The dharmakaya. The world is dharmakaya. It is a body which is encapsulated, which is permeated with dharma means when that Purusha expresses itself as the world, it expresses in certain rhythm laws. And what is the basic law of the entire creation? Interdependence. And that's the idea which in the Bhagavad Gita takes at the very beginning, in the initial stage, in the third and fourth chapter, as in the la- last class we were indicating. The idea of yagya. Not in a limited sense of the fire sacrifice, but in a much broader sense, where this Yajna speaks of the interdependence of the entire universe. Nothing in this universe lies as a segregate. Everything has to be in a flow. My body, my mind, my senses, and nothing is something which is which defines me. The food, which was in the, as a plant, which was there is now finding expression as my body. And again, when I die, that body decomposes, from that again, that becomes a fertilizer, from that the plant comes. Everywhere, wherever we see, nothing exists as a segregated, segregated discrete unit. There's an interflow going on, and there's a basic concept of of interdependence is the basic concept behind the phenomenal existence. The conscious principle alone is projecting itself as the universe. Nothing is jara. Prakriti itself has been sublimed in the Bhagavad Gita, has been sublimated to the conscious principle alone. And that conscious principle is finding expression as the Prakriti. But while it is finding expression, it is not just a chaotic expression. There are certain rhythm, that's the word rhythm, from the word rhythm in Sanskrit, the word rhythm has originated. Rhythm, laws, it is everything has laws. We have to follow those laws. We cannot break those laws. If we try to break those laws, we will know that law cannot be broken. If a law is a real law, it can never be broken. Universal laws can never be broken. In our attempt to break the laws, we break ourselves. And that's what we were indicating even in the last class through the concept of Yajna. As we indicated that Bhagavad Gita in its attempt to synthesize all the philosophies has taken four stands, four basic principle stands, paradigms by which it wonderfully synthesizes the philosophies. The first is the concept of yagya. As in the last class we were saying that in this event the two slokas which we were relating to is in the third chapter, the 14th and the 15th slokas with which we ended our discussion in the last class. the bhavati bhutani parjanyat sambhava, yajyat bhavati parjanyo yagya karma samud the 14th sloka of the 3rd chapter Kr- karma brahmhod bhavaṁ viddi brahma, sa- brahma akshara samudh bhavaṁ tasmāt sarvagatang brahma nityang yagye pratishthitam the conscious principle as we were saying finds expression as energy. Energy is of karma. All the dynamics of the world is because of that energy. Brahma appears as Shakti, the Brahma, from that Brahma comes karma. From that energy again is not something chaotic. It finds expression as rhythm. And what's that rhythm? That's the yagya, the interdependence. That interdependence, as per our existence is concerned, finds expression as rain. You may say, it has been limited, that idea. No, it's a wonderful idea. That Yajna finds expression as rain. Even when the before the human life evolved, any moving creatures evolved in this earth. The Lord has created the base for the moving creatures to evolve. First, how the huge trees were there. They were just... Uh, drawing through their roots deep rooted roots from the, the water from the underground and there was evapotranspiration you will be amazed to know in the earlier days it's not the ocean bodies is this trees which accounts for more than 50 percent in the olden days when it was all forest it accounted for 60 70 percent of the formation of the cloud through this evapotranspiration just see this yagya it's not that you are offering oblations to the fire which is moving up and you just think it is going to the devatas. The God himself has constituted this Mahayagya where these trees are the, they're standing there to part, take part in the Yagya. And there is to be huge rain. The land is fertile with the vegetation. And much later, these living creatures are coming who has to depend on this vegetation. For the life to evolve as the moving creatures. So just see when Bhagavad Gita is saying that from Anna, from food, all the beings are born, and all the beings are uh, that from where the food comes, the beings are dependent on the food, the food comes from rain, the rain comes from yajna. If I just say that when the drought is there, let me do some yajna, rain will fall, it is a very limited way of understanding. Bhagavad Gita in no way indicates that as the Yajna. The yagya is this understanding of this, the idea of the interdependence of the entire universe, where from that the rain comes, the Parjanya. And that rain is again based on that broad sense of Yajna, of interdependence. That came from karma and that came from the Brahma. So at last you will find everything the Gita is saying is originating from Brahma. It's not something bereft of that. The Prakriti is an expression of that ultimate conscious principle, as we will find is being indicated in uh, in the fourth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. What is the, uh, what is the idea that that's, uh, we uh, find that slope which we chant every day before we start uh, having our food? What is that? The Brahma Brahmahavi. It's the 24th sloka of the fourth chapter. Brahmaagna, Brahmanahutam, Brahmaivatena Gantavyam, Brahma Karma, The entire existence is Brahman. The any wherever, whatever is being offered, Arpanam is Brahma. The clarified butter is Brahman. It's offered by Brahman. Brahma-na-hutam. In the fire of Brahman, Brahmagnam, and by seeing Brahman in all, Brahma, Karma, Samadhina, one reaches Brahman alone. Brahma the more we can just defy the entire existence by seeing the Lord and Lord alone, the more we are beyond the conflicts the more we are beyond the selfishness, the more we, are more we are relating to the idea of interdependence. And even in the present corporate world, that's why we are asked to resort to meditation so that we have a clear picture where we don't become a liability of that organization by thinking only of myself. We all relate to that organization as a group The more we can do that, the more that organization flourishes, flourishes. the more we interrelate with the group where we all understand that as a group, we exist individually, we simply fall apart, we die, we cannot exist, we have to exist through this interdependence. And where this interdependence is not among various physical beings, it is that absolute reality, which is playing in the form of this universe, where we are supposed to take part in this wonderful play of the Lord through interdependence. If we don't do that, that's the idea again we find in the Bhagavad Gita has been mentioned that those who do not follow this chakra His life is when he is leading a sinful life. So if you just think it in a different way, just in a limited way, then we will find that that is still practiced in a great way in India. There will be huge yagya and there will be distribution of prasadam. So that's a limited idea. That's why what happens as long as we are in the shrine, as long as we're in the temple, we are a very religious being. We have a heart to give the, uh, what volunteer for all those free rest kitchens, we have hard heart there. We go there, we give our labor for the free kitchen and the same person comes out and now he's selfish. He thinks that to contribute in that kitchen, how in what selfish way I can earn money in all the activities. So you segregate the life. As the moment I entered the compound of the temple, I am a spiritual person. The moment I come out, I am an extremely selfish person to just, I have to take out, squeeze out from the, world, whatever in whatever way I can, is possible in whatever way I can do. And that's why this demarcation is there. Even in spite of so many Anasatras, they they say that uh, in uh, this real Swadhus, Sadhus, in Uttarakhand, they say, you know, that what, that it's better to go for Madhukari Bhiksha, that from door to door, even go to a poor man's house, whatever food they give, it's better to have that, that food that is poor. Don't go to the Shatras. The Shatras means the huge house where the food is distributed free every day. You did not have to go from door to door. But Sadhus prefer to go from door to door. You know why? Because they also know that all this almshouse which are running is running from the black money. In Bengali they say Guru Mere jutodar means Killing a cow is considered a sin for a Hindu person, but again from the cow's skin, the shoes, the leather is prepared, the shoes are made. So you kill a cow and then you donate a shoe. So this type of religion is of no avail. This part-time spirituality where we segregate the secular from the, what you say, the spiritual, there is no segregation. There is no watertight compartment between the spiritual and the secular. In the words of Swamiji, nothing is secular. Everything is spiritual. Don't close your eyes and seek God. Open your eyes and see Him. What you see is God. Just a a very nice journalist was mentioning that while he was on Europe tour with, with his family, he was in France. And the small kid asked, when we will be in Europe. So that's what happens with us when we get uh, our awareness gets what you say limited, just to some particular limited uh, local consciousness. We forget that we are actually in that non-local consciousness itself. We are a part of it. So that's the idea of the Yajna that unless we are participating in it, with the idea of the divine. That's the thing which has to be included in the corporate world, along with that idea of the teamwork. Then the sraddha, the respect comes. Otherwise still, with all our teamwork, at last the idea of selfishness to certain extent lingers. The sraddha, the faith, which is very much lacking in the present world, that the respect for each other, from that the real love comes. There cannot be any love where there is no respect. And that's why we find so much confrontation in the world, because love has become something sensual, that it actually speaks of mutual respect, thinking of the divine in each and every being, that thing is lacking. Once we bring that, the life, the real love in family, the real sense of well-being of all in the work field, that will prevail. And that's the idea which Bhagavad Gita, is bringing in through the concept of yagya. So the two things will happen is through this idea of yagya. That what? That we transform the entire nature into that divine, the defy, the prakriti as the Lord. And that our actions become more and more detached, that nishkama. How? Through that concept of yagya. That I am just taking part in the Yagya. I am contributing in it. So that's what is being indicated in the Bhagavad Gita, in the ninth sloka of the third chapter. That's what will be mentioned. Yajyarthat karmanonatira lokayam karma bandhana. Unless you are doing any work without that sense of Yagya. that action is going to bind you and will make you suffer. So, yagyarthat. Karmana Anyatra Loko Ayam Karma Bandhana. If you do any action without that idea of yagya, it is bound to bind you. It is bound to make you suffer. Tadartha Karma Kaunteya Mukta Sanga Samachara. Go beyond that detachment. And then action. is can be something which becomes the reason for your liberation, emancipation. It can liberate you from all your selfishness, from all your, uh, so what you say, the idea of of your petty concerns and petty desires. It can broaden, it can just help you to broaden your perspective and build your life on that broadened perspective. So that's the idea of your, the broaden and build. You have to broaden your perspective and build your life on that broadened perspective. So, next we will find the next paradigm after this yagya, the, the concept of yagya, by which Gita wonderfully uh, we will find is uh, synthesizing the Sankhya and the yoga, uh, this Sankhya yoga with the Vedanta philosophy. Because by just defying the entire existence as the Brahman, as the conscious principle alone, the same idea we will find again as in a different paradigm in the seventh chapter where we find that the three levels of existence has been described. One is Paraprakriti, prakriti, and the one who is holding these two, just the way like a thread which is holding the various pearls of a necklace. So Lord like the thread is holding as if the para-prakriti and apara-prakriti. So he is the one who conglomerates the entire existence. He's the binding force behind the entire existence. So in this paradigm, the whole Sankhyang-prakriti consisting of these the five gross elements, this pancha-bhuta, the mind, the buddhi, mana, buddhi, ahankara. So everything is considered as apara-prakriti. And who is, which is the para-prakriti? The, all the individual selves. So if we take the Sankhya philosophy, they don't believe in that one conscious principle. They say that each and every conscious being is discrete. So Bhagavad Gita is not denying. Okay, let us take that. But now it is synthesizing. That there are so many jivas, the chits, as in Vishishtra they say chit. And achit, the prakriti is achit. The so chit is the para-prakriti. Achit is the apara prakriti. Both are prakriti as has, has been indicated. But after that, they are saying that these two they are not something lying separate. I, like the golden thread, is in a necklace of pearl, is being is running through all of them. He is permeating. Again, the same idea of that absolute reality permeating the entire creation is being indicated as has been indicated in the seventh sloka of the seventh chapter. We are just giving a broad view before we enter into the study of the Bhagavad Gita so that we never get misdirected by ever thinking that Gita somehow says that karma is only meant for Chitta Shuddhi. Once the Chitta Shuddhi is there, I need not have to work, I retire. That idea is never actually been encouraged in Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita says that even after realization, you have to continue with your work for Lokasangraha. These wonderful ideas are there. If you stop working, seeing you, the others will stop work. Just as Sri Ramakrishna used to say that people always follow uh, the examples of the illumined souls, either of the ones who are already elevated. Sri Ramakrishna jokingly used to say in a very nice way that in in a uh, a landlord has for some uh, family uh, gathering for some family festival has invited the entire village for a feast now those who are very poor the farmers so they never have tasted all those delicacies so when the delicacies were served they were in doubt whether it is something good is it the something, the leftover they're giving or something which is, uh, which also is good. It's something genuine. So they will ask Babura Khech, and have those, there's the elites who are sitting there have taken the same thing. If it is told yes, then only they will take once, then it is good. So the idea is what the so-called illumined cells, souls do. The entire creation will follow. Interestingly, We cite Shankaracharya, Ramanujacharya and all the Acharyas when we speak of inaction. See their life, not a single of them were inactive. We can never think of the tremendous activity they were doing, traveling throughout India, length and breadth, preaching the philosophy. And we take that they are preaching total inactivity. We have totally misunderstood the scriptures. Activity is never uh, discouraged, but it has to be done with a different paradigm. Before realization it is for chitta suddhi, after realization it is with I. one idea is the loka sangra and another idea is a broadened perspective. I am no more doing with any selfish motivation. I have understood the real uh, theory of karma behind this entire universe, the plan, the, behind the plan of the entire universe and do it from that broader perspective, where I am just taking part in that huge Yagya. As one of the very t- wonderful line of Tagore's song is there, er ananda Amar nimantran. I've been invited by the Lord in the Ananda Yagya, the Yagya, which is full of bliss that's going on constantly. And I am, I've been created by the Lord and I've been invited by Him. Why He has invited me? Suppose there's a birthday party, you have arranged so many things and at last no one turns up. How will you feel? The entire party is gone. No one, there's no guest. The Lord after creating this universe, these galaxies, these stars, planets, this earth, this wonderful yagya, through this, this vegetation, at last invited us so that we can take part in that yajya. It's a wonderful uh, buffet has been given by the Lord. We have to take part with a that's elevated sense that it's not to be apart from it. We have to take part with that broadened perspective, not from the selfish motive. And that's the idea. We find in the seventh sloka of the seventh chapter, the same idea, matta paratarang nanyat kinchid asti dhananjaya. That's just the idea which we were just now reiterating, was just describing that like the golden thread of a necklace made of pearls, I am there just, just conglomerating the entire para as well as the apara prakriti So that's the idea in the seventh chapter. There also we find it's the divine who is permeating the entire universe. The eighth chapter, the next chapter from a different paradigm again speaks of the entire existence as divine. To exactly go before the words, this is the idea we will first resort to. When you are sleeping, you wake up and you look out through the window You see a wonderful rose, red rose has bloomed. You go, just pluck the flower, bring it and offer it to the altar which you have in your house, to the divine. It speaks of the way the entire creation is being projected. What is happening? That the ultimate reality, the Brahman, is coming in association with the cosmic mind, adhi-daiva. These are the terms we find confuses us. That every day that morning, the, what, the, when the mind, if I was sleeping, the mind with all the ideas is lying inert. It's all the, the redness, the idea of redness, the idea of smell, everything is there in the mind. If the mind was vacant, I could have never realized what's there out in the world. The world is just a suggestion. Adhidaiva is the cosmic mind. The Adhidaiva means that is the Supreme Devata. So you, sometimes we may think that all the celestial beings, the Lord is the Adhidaiva. Then we will confuse. Then what is Yagya? Adhidaiva is the cosmic mind. Why? The word Daiva came from Divdhatu. Div means to illumine. So what illumines the world for us? Our senses, the five senses, the eyes, the ears, the smell, the nose, the tongue, the touch, uh, the smell, uh, sorry, the tongue, the taste and the skin, the touch. So these are the devatas, that which illumines. So all the senses are the devatas, but what you gather in through the senses, it has to be processed by the mind to come. Then only the revelation happens. So, the supreme sense is the mind. So, now you will understand Adhi Devata. So who is the supreme Devata? These five senses are the Devata. If you try to understand with the help of celestial beings, you will get confused. It's actually Daiva here means these five senses. Adhi Deva is the mind. So, when Brahman in the morning you wake up, The conscious principle is coming in association with the mind. The mind is getting activated. And that is enabling us as an individual being. Adhyatma. Adhiatma. That one who is the ruler of this individual self. Adhyatma. To resort to action. When the mind gets enlivened, then only that redness of the flower is revealed. That redness was in my mind. It was slipping. It now. The flower is just a suggestion. That... The light beam falls on my eyes. It never enters my brain. There it walks, starts, stops. It's only the nervous impulse which is going to the so-called color perception of the center. And the color is thrown out from there to envelop the flower, to give its redness. So the redness was within me. It got activated. How? Because of the Adhi Bhuta. Is all these piecemeal perceptions when they are conglomerating to give me a sense of the flower. And then I wake up and then it finds expression as the response, karma, I resort to action, I go out, pluck the flower, bring and offer it to the divine. Now you will find again from a different paradigm, the entire universe is divinized. It is a conscious principle. Which is comes in association with the mind, which is not separate from the conscious principle. That mind itself has evolved from that conscious principle. So now, after evolving, it is coming in association with that, and all the when that mind is there yet to be activated by the conscious principle, all the ideas, all the pismil perceptions are lying there hidden they are activated by the conglomerations. That's the idea of the Adhibhuta, the conglomerate. And then what happens? Then you resort to karma. Why all those things are happening? The one who is the lord of all this is the Adhi Yagya. See, again this wonderful term. That that the conscious, the Brahman alone is not something inert. Beyond it, someone is there who devises that it should, that that so-called Conscious principle should find expression as the universe. Just as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, When the snake is lying coiled, it is the same snake which is moving. Yadhi yagya is the one who is beyond the Brahman, beyond the mind, beyond the Adhibhuta. He is the one who has devised. He is the lord of the sacrifice. This yagya again. Why? So that this wonderful play of interdependence goes on. I am a part of it. With that broadened perspective, I have to take part in it. So you just see here also, the entire creation is being divinized with the Adhi Yagya, the lord of the sacrifice, not the Brahman. It is the Adhi Yagya who brings the Brahman and the cosmic mind Adhidaiva into interaction so that adhyatma we as an individual being by act, by what you say that by interacting with the adhibhuta by the so called this uh, the phenomenal existence resort to action so again you say the first when we look out at the prakriti then the divinizing from that paradigm yes what you see as inert what you see as moving or conscious Everything I am permeating. That was from what I see in the external world. From that paradigm, it was divinized in the seventh chapter. Now the divinizing is happening from within. The moment, the way when I look, open my eyes, look at the universe, through my ears, I'm hearing the sounds, I'm testing, I'm smelling, I'm touching, whatever you're doing, it's actually the divine who is sitting within. He's projecting through you and everything is his projection. So in the 8th chapter, again through the, eye, the six concepts, what they are? Brahman, Adhidaiva, Adhyatma, Karma, Adhibhuta and Adhyakya. Through the six concepts, it is divinizing the entire creation where Prakriti and Purusha are not more segregated. It's, it is a Purusha who is finding expression as the entire universe being projected from within. Uh, to find expression as the entire phenomenal existence. In Sanskrit, the phenomenal existence is called prapancha. These words are very important. rupena pancha. These five senses, pancha, are interacting, conglomerating to create this wonderful universe. That's the prapancha means. rupena pancha. They're, They're as if it's in the hot pot where it is getting cooked, all these five senses, to create this universe. And that's happening from within. Who is doing it? The Lord of the Yajna. So we have to align our life to that Adhi yagya. Have to take part in this wonderful divine game which is going on. So that's the idea of this six uh, uh Levels of six fibers of consciousness through which the ultimate reality is finding expression. The consciousness has various fibers, various layers of expression through which it finds expression as the universe. And the last and the most important paradigm through which Bhagavad Gita again will be bringing this idea of divinizing the entire creation with the divine is the idea of the Purushottama. This is the, uh, the the last paradigm, but the most important paradigm which has been spoken of in the Bhagavad Gita. So gradually you will find Gita is annihilating, is eliminating the idea of the Jara-Prakriti. First they took it and then divinized it. But here at last they will say, nothing is Jara. Everything is divine. How? In the... Fifteenth chapter we will find it speaks of three Purusha, which alone constitutes the entire universe. There is no Prakriti is being mentioned. The first Purusha is the Kshara Purusha. Kshara means that which is changing, mutating. The so-called apara prakriti, which was spoken of in the seventh chapter is a Kshara Purusha. But it is also conscious, consciousness, finding expression as flow. The kshara Purusha, which corresponds to the apara prakriti of the, the this this of the seventh uh, this apara prakriti has been spoken of in the seventh chapter. So this Kshara prakriti means all the objects of the universe, both living and non-living, which is constantly undergoing changes, mutations, and therefore it is impermanent. It means it doesn't remain the way it finds expression just now. The next moment it is changing, but it is also the projection of that conscious principle alone. That's why it is kshara purusha. It is purusha, it is conscious principle. But it is ever-changing, kshara. As has been indicated in the 16th mantra of the 15th chapter, Dwavimo purushau loke kshara akshara evacha. kshara ksha kshara evacha. kshara sarvani bhutani kutastho akshara Uchade. So here, kshara and akshara both has been defined. That everything you see, everything moving, everything unmoving, everything is the kshara, and the one who is witnessing, nothing kutastha. Kutastha means the word kutastha literally means the anvil of the blacksmith. Kutastha, it is a but in spite of all the blows, it remains unchanged. So much of hammering, blowing is going on in the. Is the anvil of the blacksmith, but nothing changes. It is so strong, so hard that nothing can deform it. So that ultimately, the one who is the witness, nothing can tarnish it. Nothing can affect it. The joys cannot elate it. The sorrows cannot depress it. It is in its ever blissful, transcending the dualities of the existence as the witness, always there. That is the Akshara. Nothing can alleviate it. That, that is the, uh, you know, that uh, which we constantly have. That I am young, I am old. These, what, uh, these, these things are changing. But that I, the amness, that is always the same. It is the same I who was young. It is the same I who is going to be old. It is the same I who is going to be the young person. That I who is witnessing the various changes is the kutasthan changing. It is I who was happy. It is I who am sorrowing. That I is the one who is the Kutasthan changing. It has witnessed the happiness. It has witnessed the sorrow. It has witnessed. It is witnessing every day the three states of existence in the form of deep sleep, in the form of dream, in the form of wakeful state. It is unchanged. Experiences are changing. All the things you are experiencing in the dream is contradicted by your wakeful state. But the one who is experiencing, he is unchanged. He's the same one. I know that when I wake up, that I was dreaming, what I was dreaming is not true. As per my best in wakeful state is concerned, I understand, oh, these were all dream. But I never doubt that it is I who was dreaming, the same I who am in the wakeful state. That is the Kutastha. So these two are the Purushas. First Gita speaks of, but both are Purusha. Both are the conscious principle, but that, in Vedanta, you will say that the Kutastha is the ultimate. But in Bhagavad Gita, they will go further. There's a third Purusha. He is the Uttama Purusha. There's the concept of Purushuttama, who dwells in the, all the souls as the Antaryami, as the inner controller. is the lord of the three worlds, as has been indicated in the 17th sloka of the 15th chapter. Uttama Purushastvanya. Paramatmet Yudharitaha Yo lokatrayam avishya Vivatyam Ishwara Vivatya Ishwara. So besides this is the Uttama beyond this Kshara and the Akshara Purusha is the Uttama Purusha, who is indestructible supreme soul. He enters into the three world, he permeates as the unchanging controller and supports all beings. So ultimately you find the Lord is something which is not beyond attributes as the Advaita Vedanta. He's having that attribute. It is he, by his willful play, is bringing out this universe. So we have to identify with him and not just to remain idle uh, through devotion by getting identified with him. If he wants that we should be taking part in the game, we should take part in the game but with that awareness, it is his game, not my self-interest. With that, we take part. That's the wonderful idea through all these paradigms we find is being reflected in the Bhagavad Gita. So it transcends all the so-called six philosophies. It is a philosophy. It is a total holistic philosophy, multi-dimensional philosophy. (coughs) It stands shining transcending all the philosophies by synthesizing all the philosophies. So the concept of Purushottama. so what are the um, main tenets, what are the main conclusions, as if that comes out from this concept of the Purushottama. First is the oneness of the Jivatman and the Paramatman. Yes, it has been spoken of. As we will find in the 13th chapter, that is they say that the Kshetra there is a distinction of Kshetra and the Kshetragya, the knower of the field. If the psychophysical existence is the field, the world as well as your psychophysical existence is the field, the knower, the witness is the Kshetragya. And Lord says that know me to be the Kshetragyam. Kshetragyam cha api maam vidhi. But we should always remember that after 13th, and the 14th chapter comes the 15th chapter where that mom has been indicated as the Uttama Purusha. It's not just the uh, conscious principle which has nothing to do with the uh, way the phenomenal existence is working. It is actually the Uttama Purusha. So that's why Aurobindo, Rishi Aurobindo, in his his Gita is one of the most famous, because of the language, it becomes very difficult to go through it but if we can go through it, the way he has dealt with the Gita is something wonderful. And there he's affirming that, that we will find that he is indicating that nowhere in the Gita it affirms that the absolute disappearance, disappearance of or layer of the individual soul in the infinite. It never indicates that, never. What's the idea that you are getting identified? with the so-called, the Uttama Purusha. But that doesn't mean you just totally get merged in him. It's almost uh, related to that Vishishtha but not exactly, because we will come to that conclusion later on. So this Jivatman and Paramatman, the oneness has been stressed through this concept of Purushottama. Next comes the wonderful concept of Yoga Maya in Advaita Vedanta, Maya belongs to the Prakriti. Here in Bhagavad Gita, that Maya itself has been uplifted. It is Yoga Maya. It is a Maya of Purushottama. It is associated with the Lord. So it is associated with Purushottama. That it differs from the Advaita Vedanta. How? That as just we were indicating, that it that in Advaita Vedanta Maya is identified with the prakriti. But in Gita, although Maya is spoken of is spoken of as consisting of three gunas, like Devi, Hesha Gunamai. But it is having three gunas. But that doesn't mean it belongs to prakriti. The next phrase is important: Mama Maya Duratya. Devi Hesha Gunamai. the this maya is Devi. That also indicates that it is linked to the Lord, the Hesha and Mama Maya Duratvaya. It is my Maya. It, it is not something which is just of the Prakriti and you simply hate it. You have to respect it because it's from the Lord. He, for whatever reason, maybe, has as if deluded us with the Maya. So when we get rid of the Maya, the world does this, in Advaita Vedanta, what happens? That when maya is eliminated, world is either, it it, it disappears or appears to be illusory. But in Gita, when that maya, by the blessing of the Lord, it uh, is, what you say, that is eliminated, the world is not uh, rejected as illusory or it doesn't disappear. It becomes transformed. It gets transfigured. It will reveal the splendor of Purushottam as vibhuti. Especially one chapter is as Vibhuti Yoga. It will find expression as the Vibhuti, of the splendor of the Lord. The world will, ap- will appear as permeated by the Lord. And that's what is indicated in the Bhagavad Gita, is the ultimate goal. vasudeva sarvamiti, samahatma Just to realize the entire existence, I as the vasudeva, as the Lord, to get such an illumined soul is very few. Most of, all, most of us tend to run away from life by being by in that blissful uh, contemplation of the Purusha. So very few are there who can relate to that wonderful divine plan and come back from his realization to this world of action with a total different paradigm. And he becomes the divine worker. He is still the worker, not an ordinary worker. He's a divine worker now. And that's why we find the idea of Purushottam as master, guide, and friend another idea. That it is not that he's the transcendent God who is unattached as a witness and he just uh, allocates the results of our action and has nothing to do with us. No. He's actively and fully involved in the human life. In human society, in all our affairs, he's the master, the protector, he's the guide, he's the friend of us. That's Gatir Bharta Prabhu Shakshi. That's a wonderful sloka. That he's the guide, he's the protector. Gatir Bharta Prabhu Shakshi, Nivasa Sharanang Shurit, Prabhava Pralayas Sthanam, Nidhanam Param Abhyayam, Vijam abbyayam. So that's the idea in the Bhagavad Gita. So once when the Maya has fallen off, has been eliminated through the spiritual, our spiritual practices, we are entitled that for that the vision of the divine in all in his in his all his perspectives. And then what happens? That you become something like the divine worker all your actions are no more motivated by the selfish ends you are doing it as an offering to the divine so at last we will find that what's what's the trend of the divine worker that he becomes the nimitta just an instrument in the hands of the divine as in the after the vishwarupa darshana when arjuna had was blessed with that vision of the entirety of the creation as a projection of the lord Everything is planned by Him. Everything is predetermined by Him. I am just to take the role which He has affixed for me and do it with a sense of offering. That's the idea we find in the Bhagavad Gita, in the 11th chapter, after the Vishwarupa darshana God is saying to Arjuna, I have already killed them. Nimitta matri, you just become an instrument. What you are seeing were just as alive in front of you. Just a few minutes back, Arjuna has seen. They are entering into the Lord's mouth. He's chewing them to death. There's a very um, um, horrible description we will find there. The Lord, who is the creator, He's the sustainer, He's the destroyer. Where we have a role to play, you be just the instrument and take the part in it as the Divine Worker. Nimitta Matri, Nimitta Matram Bhava there So that's how we find that Purushottam is totally concerned with the welfare and the humanity. That's why he comes down. He says that not a single moment I can rest. For Loka Sangraha, I am also unceasingly working. That's why Lord is called this Animesha. Means he, if he closes his eyes just for a while, the entire creation is gone. That we find that our eyelids constantly fall. Animesha, that our visions are interrupted because of the closing of the eyelids again and again. Lord cannot do that. He doesn't have as if the luxury to do that. The entire creation just will come, will dissolve just if his vision is closed even for once. Animesha, he's actively involved in the creation. And that's why he's saying that you also should follow the uh, there's what you say, the law which actually ensues from me. So this purushottam is fully concerned about the welfare of the humanity. The concept of Loka Sangra is there. Krishna is repeatedly exhorting Arjuna to do work for the welfare of all. hi sangsiddhim Astita Janakadaya. In the third chapter the true karma there are so many examples like janaka who have attained perfection Loka vapi even after the chitta suddhi for the as an example to the world so that the world uh, through abhyudaya through all the social upliftment can ultimately go to the spiritual illumination it is one spiritual animation is not at the cost of Abhyudaya, for that, for that Loka Sangraha, you have to go on working, Sarvabhutahi Rata, that's the word, in Bhagavad Gita they are saying, doing good to others, constantly, with that sense, not with an escapist attitude of running away from the challenges, is relentlessly asking Arjuna again and again, to fight, to get up and fight, so that's the thing which we find again and again is being indicated in the Bhagavad Gita. So what is that? Who is the divine worker? Yes, the role of detached action, the role of meditation. In the sixth chapter, we'll deal with meditation. They're all meant for Chitta Shuddhi, so that your biases fall off. Your all bias falls off, your all pettiness falls off. Now you can do everything with the sense as an offering to the divine. Yad yad Yat Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer as oblation, whatever you bestow as a gift, whatever as a gift you are giving, whatever austerities you are performing, O Arjuna do them as an offering to me. So the life becomes a constant offering to the divine. That's the divine worker. To do that, first the Chitta Shuddhi is required. The so-called detached action, Nishkama Karma, meditation has a role to play. That entitles the Chitta Shuddhi. That takes you to the realization. And from that realization, the action doesn't fall off. Now you do everything as an offering to the divine. Instead of offering the flower in the altar, Through your actions, you are offering the divine each and every moment of your life through all your activities. So that's the idea which will be reiterated in the Gita again and again. And at last, Purushottama is the one who is the redeemer, who is the liberator. I, by my will, cannot attain that liberation. If I follow the divine plan, knowing very well the plan of the divine, I can offer my life as an action to the Divine, there we find the Bhagavan is assuring at last that liberation is awaiting us. It is He who is going to liberate us. Sarva dharmaan parityajya mamikam aham sarva mokshe śwāmi He is asserting that my devotees will never come to ruin. He's asking Arjuna, go and shout and deliberately say to all with full conviction, kaunteya prati janihi, name And nothing can kill my devotees. I'm there to liberate them. So that's the Bhagavad Gita. It totally takes you to a different paradigm. You do the same actions, but with a totally different uh, perspective. You have a broadened your perspective. You built your life on that perspective and then prema issues from you, love. P means for the positive emotions that comes out of it from the broadened perspective. R means for the relationships, your relationships improve. And that relationship is not superfluous. You engage in those relationships. E, there's a meaning behind all those relationships. It's all as an offering to the divine. And A means accomplishment. That accomplishment at last Purushottama, is there to redeem us, to liberate us through all these actions. The prema, positive emotions, there's your relations, engagement, meaning, accomplishments. Everything ensues from that broadened and perspective. You build on that perspective. With at last, just to uh, indicate that it neither indicates the goal as has been prescribed by the Advaita pure Advaitins or the Vishishtadvaitins, I will resort that what Bhagavad Gita's ideal is with two stories of Ramakrishna. The first story is, with this we will end our discussion today, that a lord, the master, a landlord has two servants. One servant silently works in the garden and bring and just harvests wonderful vegetables, fruits for the master. <clears throat> the other, veget- other servant is idle. Whenever the master visits the garden, the other servant is there to go and just flatter him. Oh master, you are great, you are great. So Ramakrishna is asking whom the master will really love. The one who is so much devoted and constantly, or who knows that it's the master's garden, if I take care of it, master will like me. That's the one story which speaks. It's not just uh, through that uh, effervescence, devotion, living all your work, leading just uh, always uh, trying to please the Lord is something which the Lord would like. Now the next question comes: If has already you are seeing your harvest. The Lord is very happy with you. And seeing him elated, seeing him elated, you think, oh, the Lord is so happy with me. Now let me go and sit by his side. (laughs) Really like it. But if he calls, if he says, oh, you are so great. It is you and me. Are there any difference? Please come. Take a seat by my side. Of course you can take them. He wants that. So now you will understand the idea of Gita, it is he up to him. Our duty is just to please him, nothing else. Then being pleased, what he will do, whether he will uh, make us continue as a divine worker, or he will make me sit by his side, it is his wish. Let us not be bothered about that. That even Shankaracharya, whose commentary we think is of Advaita Vedanta, he also is saying that what Nishkama karma means, karma means that even the Lord be pleased with me so that I may be attaining the liberation, evenly forget that just to do his work is my duty that much. just do that. Don't have those futuristic goals. be at present In this moment in what in what way I have to lead my life I lead it. I don't repent for my past, I don't go on having future ambitions. I just lead the life perfectly the way I'm supposed to do in the present moment. Just with a small story, I will just end today's class. That In Belurmat, the novice brahmacharis are supposed to, uh, every day in the morning, their duty is to uh, dress the vegetables. Because so many people will be, uh, will, be, uh, will be fed. The monks, the devotees, those who come. It's, uh, even in those days, it used to be hundreds. Now it has gone to thousands. So for dressing the vegetables, we need a lot of hands. So these young brahmacharis, it's their duty, they, the, the novices, they have to dress the vegetables. So it's on those olden days when Holy Mother was still alive, the brahmacharis were dressing the vegetables, cutting the vegetables. And it's that wonderful tradition still follows. When all are cutting vegetables, one brahmachari will be assigned to read something, holy scripture so that the mind of all is also engaged in some sublime thought while they're working. It's a very wonderful idea. Now, one day, Holy Mother I just came for a visit to the Belumat. And seeing this young Brahmachari, generally the boys, nowadays, of course, it has become common in the household. Boys also work. But in those days, this all household works were exclusively for the females. So seeing the boys cutting vegetables, she was so delighted. She was so happy, like a small girl, she giggled and said, wow, so nice to see this. my boys cutting vegetable. One of the brahmachari, was later proved to be a highly illumined soul, Swami Jagadananda. He replied a wonderful, he immediately remarked, our aim is to please the mother, whether it is by meditation or by cutting vegetable, whatever it may be. So that's the thing. Be aware, whether you are meditating, whether we are meditating or we are working, our aim is to please the divine. There it ends. And then only the life can really be built on that broadened perspective, which can give us the ultimate fulfillment, which the Bhagavad Gita assures through the song of God. With this, we stop our discussion today. The next class we will enter into the text of Bhagavad Gita. As we have mentioned, the first chapter, we will take it as a uh, overall study. We won't go sloka by sloka, and the se- next class will be uh, the this, uh, summary of the first chapter. We will take, and then from the second chapter, sloka by sloka, we will take our. Uh, we'll continue with our discussion of the Bhagavad Gita. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.